Isn't there something that's just good about seeing those words and reading those words and letting those words kind of penetrate our hearts at a time when uh, things are just busy and full and chaotic and all kinds of crazy? I, I love the words of that psalm, and I love what uh, we're talking about over the course of this series, that in the midst of our stress, that we are, uh, we are candidates to find and to enjoy God's rest along the way. In uh, John chapter 16, Jesus said something that's both uh, inherently threatening and comforting all at the same time when he said this, when he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so right at the very same time we get the bad news, which is there's going to be trouble in this world. There are going to be hard times and difficult places and stresses for us to endure. At the same time we get the bad news, we get the good news that God is going to be with us in them, that Jesus is there, and that he has already overcome the world that way. And God's peace is available to us even in the midst of those trying circumstances. And part of what makes Psalm 23 so powerful and dynamic, and part of what gives it such a great impact when we read it, is that at various points along the way, it creates these images and these pictures of what the peace of God might look like in contrast to the busyness of our everyday life. And this is really true in the second verse where it says this, speaking of the Lord who is my shepherd, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. Green pastures and quiet waters. And, and in part, that's just like, it's painting a pretty picture, right? Like a, an open, uh, pretty beautiful, green forested kind of space with a nice river running through it. And, and that just is peaceful, just the image or the picture or the idea. But there's more than just that. Because the green pastures that God has in store and the still waters that he provides represent some other things as well. See, the, the pastures that God's sheep are made to lie down in, they, ext they extend. I mean, the pasture is food, it's provision, it's, it's everything where there is need. And, and the sheep is able to lie down in that pasture um, and see that there's plenty to be had. And also just to find a place of rest and peace because of it. And it's not just that the good shepherd leads the sheep to the waters, but it's still waters. And that's important too, because rushing waters where there's a lot of noise and a lot of activity and a lot of motion, those are things that hide the approach of predators to the sheep. But in still waters, they can remain safe. And a sheep, when he comes to the edge of a stream to drink, if he's, I mean, sheep are dumb, right? We remember that when they lean over on the edge of rushing waters, they sometimes get pulled in and then being made of wool and all that stuff, they just sink like a stone to the bottom and die. So the shepherds look for those still waters, the places where the needs of the sheep can be made safely without bringing them to any level of threat or concern or even stress at all. That's what God has in store. And we want that. Don't we want those kind of green pasture places and those still peaceful water kinds of places in our lives? But the difficulty is that just the motion, that the day-to-day relentless pace that we live doesn't live doesn't allow for a lot of that. And every now and then, I don't know about you, but every now and then I get these glimpses that maybe just beyond the horizon there might be a season of peace awaiting me. That perhaps just around the corner, if I can just get through this next busy week, there's going to be some peace and a, and a space to rest. And all too often, once I get there, I find, no, no, it's just the next corner. It's just the next horizon. It's just the next week. And then even in those times when it feels like, okay, I've landed, I've got some space, I'm enjoying some kind of green pasture kinds of moments, have you ever had those experiences where that is ripped out from under you in the moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye, or it seems like all is well with the world and I'm enjoying some peace, and then something changes, it happens, and all of a sudden the peace is gone in a heartbeat. I'm reminded of the time when our son was, uh, uh, he was not quite yet a toddler, he was in that very awkward stage of just learning how to walk, so he could, he could kind of stand and kind of walk, but mostly he just fell down a lot. And so, you know, you, you kind of follow around making sure he's not going to get hurt. And there was this one weekend when Rochelle was away, and my job was to make sure that he lived through the weekend. <laughs> and so I was on watch, and they was like, I shut everything else off, and, and that was my life. And it turned out to be great, just hanging out with my son, playing, and having a great time. And we were doing fantastic, and there was a point that I got, I, the stress of keeping him alive was gone. I was just enjoying a great peaceful weekend when it happened. And the it in this case, in our family we refer to them as blowouts, but there's those, um, when your kids are in diapers, sometimes they just don't make the diaper big enough to contain all the action, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and like, uh, like old faithful, uh, Cody did a diaper that was unbelievable and not to be contained. And so here I've got this kid who can barely stand up, tends to fall over, and he's a gooey, brown, stinky, slimy mess, and I can't hand him off to Rochelle because she's not there. <laughs> and in a moment, what had been a peaceful weekend went unpeaceful really quick. And so I, you know, I tried to pick him up and hold him at arm's distance and not get too slimy myself and go upstairs to the place where we had the shower. And I, a kid who can't stand up well doesn't do well on a semi-wet sh- shower floor anyway, so I'm trying to keep him from falling over without getting sliming, and, and he's not cooperating, so he's crying a lot, and I'm trying to keep him going, and life's getting more and more stressed, and, I, and every time I reach to turn on the water, he's falling down, and it's horrible, and so finally I at least get the water on, and that's a good thing, but I can't get the water to divert away from the spout to the bathtub up to the shower, right? You know the little thing that you pull that does that? Well, ours got all calcified and stuck, and it wasn't working, and I couldn't pull it up hard enough to divert the water up to the shower, and I'm but I got this slimy, poopy kid, and what are you going to do? I thought about dunking him and baptizing him two or three times, but I, that was going to be a problem. So finally, in a desperation, I just pulled really hard. So now I'm holding a poopy baby here who wants to fall all over, and I'm just holding a spout in my hand that is broken off. And the plumbing is actually broken off back behind the drywall in the wall, where I can't see it. All I see is a hole in the drywall and half of the water coming out at me, and the other half running down into the garage and down in the basement below that. Having a great time. It just gets more peaceful and more peaceful and more peaceful. And in a moment there, everything had changed. We were new to the house. I didn't know where the water shutoff valve was. I was a kid. I barely knew there was a shutoff valve, for heaven's sake. And eventually I found it. It was down under these rose bushes on the front of the house. So I'm trying to reach back in without severing my arm, turn off the thing, not poke my kid's eye out. And he's still slimy, poopy, messy. That fast, it was gone. And if you'd have asked me in that moment, is there any way that God could take a moment like this and turn it into anything remotely like a green pasture, remotely like still waters, anything vaguely peaceful. I just said, not a chance, not a bit. And, you know, your example may be a little bit different from mine, but we have those moments where it just feels like there is no way to get from where I am to the peace that God has promised me. There's no way to get from what I'm currently experiencing to the fulfillment of his promises. How do we get from here to there It should not surprise us that Jesus, the good shepherd, had a few things to say about how do we get to the still waters and the green pastures. And this is what Jesus said. Matthew quotes him in uh, the 11th chapter of his gospel, and he says this. Jesus says, Come to me, 
All you who are weary and who are burdened and stressed, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what it's like when you've just been carrying too much weight? The weight of a family situation that won't go away, the weight of a job situation looks dour, the weight of a health situation that's not getting any better, whatever it may be, and you carry that weight and you would give anything to exchange that heavy weight for something lighter and easier to carry. When I was a kid, my family backpacked for a lot of our vacations. I remember 10, 11, 12 years old, I thought the coolest thing in the world was to um, take my mom's backpack for her the next section of the trail. And I'd step out from my little kid backpack and I'd strap on my mom's kind of heavier backpack and I'd carry it for as long as I could till I couldn't carry it anymore. And I'd set it down and then I'd go back and pick up mine. It's like, oh, this is so nice. It's, it's still a backpack. It's still a burden. It's still something that needed to be carried. But when the burden was right-sized to the person, when it was the burden that I was intended to carry, it just fit right. And it was okay compared to the overbearing, over-heavy burden that I had taken on that way. See, we inherently long for what that passage speaks to. The right-sized burden, the easy yoke, the light burden that Jesus promises. That's what our hearts cry out for, for still waters and for green pastures. And Jesus, in that passage, he gives three very specific instructions, three things that we can do to get there. He says, come to me. He says, take my yoke. And he says, learn from me. And I want to just look at those in reverse order, if we can. Jesus says, if you want to get from here to there, from the chaos to the peace, from where you are to the still waters and the green pastures, first, learn from me, for I'm gentle, he says. I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart. What do we learn from this Jesus who is gentle and humble? Well, one of the things we learn is obedience. John wrote wrote that Jesus said this, that I love the Father, I do exactly I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. And the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus humbled himself by becoming so obedient that he was obedient even to the point of death, to the point of death on a cross. See, part of the peace that Jesus experiences is a peace that's the result of being completely, wholeheartedly obedient to whatever it is that God the Father is saying, and that's the same for you and me. We need to learn the discipline of obedience. And just like Jesus as well, what else we can learn? We, we learn the discipline of solitude over and over and over in the Gospels. We hear again and again, at, like we see in Luke chapter 5, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He, he got away from the crowds. He got away from the rush. He got away from all the activity and the hubbub. And he said, I'm going to find some time. I'm going to make some time. I'm going to force myself to have some time with God the Father. Because he knew there was no peace with God apart from some time spent with him. We can learn that from Jesus on our way to peace. We can learn from Jesus as well the art of stillness. You remember when Jesus uh, and the disciples were in the boat, they were crossing the lake and the big storm rises up and there's storm and rain and winds and the, the disciples, many of whom are fishermen and sailors, are convinced that they're going to die, that they're going to drown and they asked they ask him, teacher, don't you care? Don't you even care that we're going to drown? And all that Jesus did was to stand up and to speak to the waves and to the wind and say, quiet, be still. Be still. 
I mean, can you imagine the kind of stillness that happened then when the waves subsided and the winds grew quiet and it was just them alone on a quiet lake? There's something about stillness. And there's something about that that God has written in to kind of the existence of being a human person. He didn't, um, in the Old Testament, he didn't write in the idea of a Sabbath into the Ten Commandments, of, of taking a day of rest once uh, each week. He didn't do that because he wanted to make life inconvenient for us or because he wanted us to work harder the other six days or anything like that. He just knew that within the human spirit there was a need for areas and periods of stillness and quiet and rest. Maybe you find yourself challenged to, to find the places of peace and the stillness. I want to encourage you to consider, you know, the, the Old Testament, the, the Sabbath is an is a Old Testament law. It's a requirement. We live in a New Testament time now, but the principle remains. God's people do better when they honor his principle and rest on a schedule that he has designated. If you're finding it difficult maybe to come to those places of peace, may I suggest instituting the discipline of stillness and rest on a weekly basis. Jesus said, learn from me, right? You want to find your way to peace, you've got to learn from me. Before that, he said, though, he said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And the yoke is the thing that they put over the shoulders of like the oxen and the, and the beasts of burden to pull the plow and the furrow and everything behind them, right? So the, the burden, the work to be done is behind. The beast is the one who's doing the work. And the yoke is that thing that they, they strap themselves into that connects them to the burden. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. He says, I would prefer to connect you to the burden that you're intended to carry to a burden that is right-sized for who you are and for your life and for the plan God has for you. Take my yoke upon you, maybe not the yoke that you've taken upon yourself. It's entirely possible that you and I are simply yoked to the wrong burden, and that's why it's so heavy, and that's why it's so painful. I want you to take a look at this video we're going to play and uh, see if you can identify the places, those places where you identify with what it's like to bear a weight and to carry a burden that's more than you're really intended to bear. I'm in debt. I have two car payments, four years into a 30-year mortgage, balances on a couple credit cards, plus college for three kids on the horizon, zero savings. I work long hours at a job that I hate, and despite all that, all I get is stress about how I can make more money. I take four pills at night for my back pain. Some days, getting up seems like too much. I struggle with dyslexia. I have high cholesterol. I overeat a little too often. I'm trying to get in shape, but it's never, I mean never enough. My dad died five years ago from cancer. I should have seen him more before he passed. Man, I miss him so much. Everyone expects me to be over it, but it's something that I still deal with daily. I haven't taken my wife on a date in four months. I practically forgot our anniversary. My kids need me when I get home, but it's late. I want to sleep. I spend my weekends at their functions, as if that's enough. All this, and I still resent my family, because I have no time just for me. I can be amazingly selfish. I'm often angry, seemingly, for no reason. I struggle with lustful thoughts, none of which my wife understands. Nor do I, for that matter. I'm good at some things, I'm great at nothing. 
I had dreams for my work and my family, and I abandoned them long ago. I think I'm a realist, and I come off as a pessimist. I feel restless knowing something is missing. I have too many burdens. They're suffocating. And this is the weight I carry. And that guy is jacked up. He is messed up. And the painful part of that is how deeply we all resonate with so many pieces of that and, and so many elements of the weight and of the burden. And, and folks, we got to learn from Jesus how to offload that burden and find the yoke that's easy and the burden that is light. We need to learn and become like him, humble and gentle and humble of heart. And we need to learn the art of what Jesus describes as taking his yoke upon us. David, when he wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 55, instructed us to do this. He said, cast your cares on the Lord. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. And what he's describing there is the beginning of an exchange which leads us into those places of peace. An exchange where we take the heaviness and the burden and the weights that we carry and we cast them down before the Lord and say, these are not what I'm intended to carry. And where we simply take up in its place a lighter burden and an easier yoke, the one that God has ordained for you and for me to carry. Can you, can you picture the peace and the rest and the joy that comes with offloading the things we're not meant to carry and taking on only those things that we are? That's an exchange that if we can figure out how to make it would be powerful. Jesus said, learn from me. And he said, take on my yoke. And, and he led off with the way that we do that. He simply said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. How do we, how do we make the exchange from these heavy, uh, burdensome loads that we carry to the light, easy yoke? How do we do that? We, we come to him. And Jesus, in his goodness and in his love and his care, made a way for that to be possible that's really powerful. On the, on the night before he was to be crucified, he was with his disciples, and he knew the nature of the stress and the chaos that they were about to undergo as they watched this play out. And he gave to them a gift um, that has lasted through the centuries. And the gift is this table of communion that we're invited to. He told his disciples, look, you're going to go through unimaginable pain, stress, chaos. There will be very little peace. And when it happens, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remind yourself that in and amidst all the chaos, I'm giving myself to you. In and amidst all of your suffering, I've already suffered. I've already given my body to be broken. I've already given my blood to be shed. And, and I want you to remind yourselves of that along the way. Come to me. Meet me at the communion table, and I will be there with you. And it is at the communion table, at the table where we receive once again the body and the blood of Christ, where we remind ourselves of the core truths of our faith that Jesus died so that we could be redeemed and restored. When we come to that place, that's the place where we exchange our burden for the presence of God, which is our peace. In just a few moments, we're going to do that. We're going to receive communion as a church family. And, uh, and kind of 
as you're ready, you're going to be, I'm going to invite you. Kind of, we'll be doing some singing and some worship together. And in the midst of that, when you're ready, you'll come forward to one of the four uh, stations. There's two up front and there are two on the side. And if you're up in the balcony, there are no stations up there, but we would certainly invite you to come on down and all, just take a look wherever you are, figure out where the lines are shortest and go there. But, but I'd like you to do this, um, if you would, in preparation for that. Maybe, maybe don't just leap up to run and quickly take communion, but would you take a few moments to think through and potentially even identify what is that burden that I'm going to exchange? When you came in, in your bulletin, there's, there's this card that you found. And, there's, uh, and, and if you would, would you take a moment even before coming forward and just put to words what is the weight that you carry? What, what is the burden that you would ask Jesus to relieve you of today? And, and maybe take a moment with a spouse or a friend that you're with. You can share with them or not. But when, when, when you come to receive the elements of communion, bring this with you. There are baskets up on the side. And, and, and would you actually make an exchange? Would, would you take this card that represents a burden and would you lay it there next to the symbols of your faith? And then would you take that bread representing Jesus' body and that cup representing his blood and would you, you know, dip the bread in the, in the juice take of that in so doing saying I, I've left my burden here and I'm taking with me the presence of God and I'm asking God in that exchange in that transaction to manage the burden and the load that I cannot and to lead me into the places of green pastures and still waters and peace so let's worship the Lord in song fill out your card and when you're ready Come on forward and I'll be up to close us in prayer in just a little bit.